Thank you, Sharon, for those tunes to help us get our heart warmed for worship this morning. We at First Church would like to welcome those here today and listening on the radio. We hope you find inspiration and are filled with the Spirit of the Lord this morning. A few announcements to highlight. The roses on the altar are in honor of two couples celebrating wedding anniversaries of 50 years or more. Daryl and Mary Cook will be celebrating 55 years on July 18th. And Wayne and Nancy Bumbar will be celebrating 59 years on July 16th. Congratulations to both couples. This Tuesday, June 16th, the youth are leaving to visit the Ark Encounter in Kentucky. Please keep them and their leaders in your prayers for a good trip and safe travels. Students, you need to be in the parking lot at 630 Summertime, sleeping in, get a break from that. Get up a little early, get off to the ark. Would you rise and join me in the call to worship this morning? Which is taken from Revelations chapter 4. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second like an ox. The third had the face like a man, the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around. Even under its wings, day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to Him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before Him who sits on the throne and worship Him 
whose lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Now let us sing our praise song this morning, the Revelation song.
Well, uh, next we'll have children chat, and they come forward, please greet those around you. Good morning. How are you guys today? Good. All right. You know, when I did a quick scan of the downstairs of the sanctuary before, I'm like, there are no kids here today. But you came from upstairs, and I'm so happy you're here. I am. All right. So I have a question for you. If you were to ask your mom and dad how much you are worth to them, how much do you think they would say? If, if, if they had to put a price tag on you, how much would they say you're worth, Connor? I don't know. You don't know? A dollar? No? More than a dollar? A hundred dollars? Not a hundred dollars? You don't think you're worth a hundred dollars? What about you, Courtney? Are you worth a hundred dollars? Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Luke, are you worth a million dollars? Yes, you are. Do you know what? I bet if we ask your parents how much you're worth, they would say there isn't enough money in the entire world to equal how much you are worth to them. Do you think? Now, maybe some days they would try to give you away. Because I tried to do that with my kids when they were growing up, and nobody ever wanted them. My mom always told me that if somebody took me, they'd bring me back, because they wouldn't want me. And you know what? But you know what? I got a pen here. It's a pretty ordinary pen, isn't it? How much do you think my pen is worth? A couple cents. Probably that's all it took for them. Yeah, it's probably not much worth much. And if I told you, what if I told you that LeBron James signed his last sports contract with this pen? Would it be worth more? Yes. It would be worth more? All right. All right. Now, what if I told you that this pen was used to sign the Declaration of Independence? Would it be worth a lot then? Yeah, it would, wouldn't it? Well... Jesus tells us in Matthew that we are worth more to God than two sparrows. And it goes on to say that God watches every animal, every bird, every worm, every everything. But God has his eye on each of them and he notices even when one of them is suffering. So if God is keeping an eye on all of the animals, can you imagine how much he's keeping an eye on us? Jesus says that each person is worth as much or more than two sparrows to God. And this is good news. Since God watches out for the smallest birds, he watches out for each one of us. Okay, so we need to remember that. We are worth more than all the money in the world to God. He knows everything about us. He loves us more than all the money in the world. And sometimes we don't feel like it. Sometimes we're having a bad day and we just don't feel like we're worth much. But we have to remember, we are worth everything to God. And you know what? You're worth everything to your mom and dad too. All right, let's say a quick prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for these children. Thank you for all of our children, no matter how big they are and where they live. We are so grateful for their blessings that they give to each one of us. Be with these children. Guide them. Help them to be your hands and feet. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Lost in our service in the last week in Alabama. Private, first class, Philip W. Whitehead, Jr., 20, from Delatona, Florida. Before we go to the Lord in prayer this morning, I want to take a moment and, and read a, a letter that I received uh, when I returned from vacation at the end of this past week. I 
Got back Thursday night and there was a, a letter and a gift on, waiting for me on my desk uh, from the church in Lodberg in Germany. Uh, we actually have a couple of visitors with us today, guests here that are here for the 50th anniversary celebration of the moon landing, because uh, not only do we as a church and uh, New Knoxville in general as a community have a have connections to Lodbergen, but Neil Armstrong himself did as well. And so uh, along with them was uh, a letter from the pastor at the church in Lodbergen uh, sending his greetings to us here at First Church. And so I thought I'd take a moment and read that to you now before we go in prayer. It says, Dear Friends in Ohio, the Reformed Protestant Congregation of Lodberg in Germany is very happy to send greetings and congratulations for the celebration of the 50th anniversary of the moon landing. We are with you in thoughts, but also by the visit of people from Lodbergen. Neil Armstrong's first moonwalk on 20th of July 1969 was a giant leap for Lodbergen as well. Why this? His grand, great-grandfather, Friedrich Cotter, was born in Lodbergen in 1846 and came to Wapakoneta in 1864. This is the reason why people in Lodbergen also feel honored and proud to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the moon landing this summer. We wish you wonderful days of celebration with kind and best wishes. Ingo Goldner, uh, the pastor of the church in Lodbergen. So he sends his greetings uh, to us here in the church as well. And if you'd like to take a moment and greet our visitors this morning after the church service, I'm sure they'd be glad to say hi as well. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Lord God, we do thank you for the worldwide body of Christ. Uh, Lord, thank you that we are not here in New Knoxville uh, by ourselves, that we are part of your body, which is a global body, Lord. Uh, we, we worship this morning along with brothers and sisters in Christ from all over this world and lift up your name and praise and, and thanksgiving and give you glory and honor, just as we heard uh, from our call to worship this morning and, and through our singing of praises. Lord, we thank you that we can worship, Lord, with your church triumphant, that we can celebrate your goodness and your gospel with brothers and sisters from around this world. And thank you for the special connection that that brings. Lord, there is one church, uh, it is your church, uh, and it is your spirit that connects us all. And so we thank you for that good gift and the fellowship that we know comes along with that. Lord, we also this morning want to lift up our, uh, our youth group and, and those that are traveling on uh, to Kentucky this week. We pray for safety and travel for them and a, a, a good time of fellowship and, and Bible study together, Lord. Uh, we thank you for this opportunity and pray for your blessing. And, and I pray that they would come back, Lord, not, not just maybe having learned something, but also have grown closer together as a group. I thank you for the adults that are taking time out of their schedules to be there and help and pray for a special blessing for them as well. Lord, we also uh, do want to uh, lift up the concerns, Lord, that are being represented in our bulletin. Lord, names that have been there for a long time and, and others, Lord, that may be newer. Uh, Lord, we, we don't necessarily know the details and why those names are there, but you do. You know the number of hairs on our head. Uh, you know everything so intimately about us. And as, as Maria just shared in children's chat, you care about us so much and you, we are valuable in your sight. And so Lord, we ask for your healing. We ask for your provision. Uh, Lord, we ask for your will, whatever that may be for us to be done in those situations, because we know and trust that your will is what's best for us. We commit ourselves to you, Lord. Uh, and we, and we ask not only that you would Meet us in, in our prayers, meet us in, in, in these situations that are before us, Lord, but, but also equip us, help us to be the answer to prayer when and where we are able, Lord. Work through us to bring about your kingdom, not only in our own lives, but in our community and our world. We pray all these things in the name of Christ, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. God gives us many great promises in his word. Let's stand and let's rejoice in that fact. Let's sing number 271 from our blue hymnal, Standing on the Promises of God.
be seated. Our offering this morning is going to support the radio ministry fund here at First Church, which allows us to broadcast our services every week uh, to a wider audience in the, in the area. What a blessing that is. And in fact, that, that ministry doesn't just reach our immediate area, but through the iHeartRadio app, you can listen in to our services wherever. Uh, and this past Sunday, as I was in New York, I attended my home church and was able to come home in time uh, to listen to Tori's sermon live through that app all the way in New York. So what a blessing that ministry is. And, and thank God that we are able to do that and be able to share uh, our services with a wider audience, especially those who aren't physically able to be with us. So uh, that is what our, ministry, our offering this morning is going to support. And we're glad to have Bob Grimes here to provide some special music. I invite the deacons to come forward at this time, please. I've been reading in the Bible about the ending of the age. One thing that's for certain, it draws closer every day. I am not concerned about the way it's gonna end. I've read the back of the book and we win. I've read the back of the book and we win. No more living in darkness, we'll be living at home with Him. Ain't no need to worry about it if you're born again. I've read the back of the book and we win. Now we all want to be winners in the games of life we play. Friends, since we're all sinners, we've already lost the race. Jesus' blood can take that sin and throw it in the deep blue sea. He'll put an end to your last place living and give you the victory. I've read the back of the book and we win. No more living in darkness, we'll be living at home with Him. Ain't no need to worry about it if you're born again. I've read the back of the book and we win. I've read the back of the book and we win. No more living in darkness, we'll be living at home with Him. Ain't no need to worry about it if you're born again. I've read the back of the book and we win. I've read the back of the book and we win. No more living in darkness, we'll be living at home with Him. Ain't no need to worry about it if you're born again. I've read the back. Of the book and we win Ain't no need to worry about it If you're born again I've read the back I've read the back I've read the back of the book and we win
like to invite you to remain standing if you're able to. Our gospels, our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Revelations, chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. John, to the, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and... Every eye will see him, even those who pierce him, and all the peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So it shall be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you that we can open your word together. And I pray that as we do so, Lord, help us to keep a mind and a heart that is open to what your word has to say to us. I pray for clarity of mind and heart for myself. And I pray for receptiveness for all that are that hear the sound of my voice, Lord, whether we are here gathered physically in this room or listening in on the radio. I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart may be pleasing to you, my God my rock, and my redeemer. We pray this, these things in Christ's name. Amen. Last week, uh, Tori began our, our kind of month-long look at the book of Revelation. Um, she was able to, uh, she did a, a wonderful job uh, and, and had a great message from Revelation chapter 2, looking at the letter to the church in Ephesus. And so what I would like to do today is, is kind of take a step back a little bit. She was able to, to look in at, at what God had to say to that church and, and to Christians in general that we can draw from that. Uh, what I'd like to do is, we, is to continue to set the stage for our look at the book of Revelation as a whole. In this Tough Questions series, a lot of the questions that you all submitted to, to us to look at uh, had to do with the book of Revelation. Uh, some of them very general, you know, what's it all about? Some of them on the, more specifically about details in the book of Revelation. And so what I'd like to do today is, uh, is kind of take a step back and look at the book of Revelation from more of a bird's eye view. Now, I know that's going to be very difficult to do in the time that we have here this morning. I can't imagine trying to uh, cover every detail and every nook and cranny that the book of Revelation has for us. But, but what I want to do is I want to look at, I want to look at the forest. And I don't want to lose sight of that as we progress over the next couple of weeks looking in more detail at the, what the book of Revelation has to say to us. So today we're going to look at the book of Revelation, like I said, from a bird's eye view. And the reason I think it's important to do that is because we often get, unfortunately, we get our understanding of what end times or what the book of Revelation is all about from popular culture rather than from God's word. You know, think of... Uh, books like the Left Behind series that were so popular several years ago, or or even more secular versions of of movies that are are um, end of the world or even apocalyptic sort of films. You know what is going to happen when the world comes to an end? I think we as a culture have a fascination with what is going to happen. We want to know what the future has in store for us, and so that's why the Book of Revelation is such a maybe intriguing book because. It seems to to depict what will happen at the end times, but it does so in a way that is not exactly straightforward, is it? Anyone who has taken time to to read through the book of Revelation its entirety has most likely come away with a, a few more questions maybe than when they started. I know I have experienced that for myself. 
the reason is that Revelation is, is what is known as apocalyptic literature. Now, we often use the word apocalypse to mean the end times or, the, or, or some sort of great uh, catastrophe or something like that. But apocalypse simply means to reveal. That's where the book of, that's where Revelation gets its name. It's, it's God revealing truth to his people. And so this is what uh, the nature of the book of Revelation is that it is, it is God revealing his truth to his people. Now, it does, he does so in a very particular and maybe even peculiar way because the book of Revelation uh, is filled with all sorts of symbolism that is difficult for us to understand. Descriptions of, of God, descriptions of Jesus, descriptions of, of the throne room in heaven, that are, that, and the language is just different. It's strange. It's unique. See, John was trying to explain heavenly things or heavenly realities with earthly language, and, and things just don't always translate well. We see in the introduction of the book of Revelation that this is a, a revelation, uh, a message from Christ, from God himself to John to reveal to his people. And so God gave John a glimpse of what heaven is like. I have a glimpse of, of God and all of his glory and all his majesty. And then John had to try to turn around and, and explain what he saw in words with words that people would understand. You know, we... I've already acknowledged that this week is the 50th anniversary of the moon landing and with Neil Armstrong and the rest of the crew that were that set foot on the moon for the first time. And while they were there, they were able to take pictures of what the surface of the moon was like. They were able to even take pictures of Earth from a great distance away. Images that nobody on Earth had ever seen before because these were the first people to ever venture that far away. And these pictures came back and people were just amazed and blown away. We still are today seeing the, the earth rise over the horizon of the moon. Seeing earth from, a, from uh, the perspective of space is just breathtaking and surreal. But imagine Neil Armstrong or others that have ventured out into space in the years since uh, not, able, not being able to take cameras with them. Not being able to bring back visual evidence of what they witnessed and what they saw. And they come back and return home and, and they try to explain to NASA and the rest of the world what exactly it was like to stand on the moon and look back to Earth. Do you think they'd have the words to truly capture that image, that picture? Probably not. That's what John is trying to do here in the book of Revelation. He's trying to give us a picture of a glimpse of, of God and all of his glory and all of his majesty. And, and the words that he's finding are just inadequate to do so. And so he uses symbolism, he uses metaphors, he uses similes to, to try to help us understand what it is like. But it's a very difficult task to do. And that's why Revelation and, and, uh, is unique in that way. Unique in all of Scripture besides some passages from the book of Daniel in the Old Testament uh, in this way. Filled with symbolism and metaphors uh, that are sometimes difficult or, or confusing but I also want us to re remember that Revelation was not just written for us today, 2,000 years later. It was, a, it was a letter that was written to particular people in a particular place at a particular time to address their needs. This letter is addressed to the seven churches. Tori last week looked at one of them, the church in Ephesus. These are seven churches all located in, what, in Asia Minor, which would be modern-day Turkey. And they're actually lined up, they're, they're addressed in an order that a, a mail carrier, a messenger, would deliver this letter. And so this letter would have been first read in the church in Ephesus to the people that were gathered there. And then after some time, it would have moved on to the church in Smyrna and per, Pergamum and, and so on. See, this letter was meant to be read and meant to be edifying to the people who first heard it, which gives us a clue about what the book of Revelation is all about. It's not just about what will happen in the future, but there's a message in it for the people who first heard it 2,000 years ago. And therefore, it's still a message that we can hear today in our present circumstances. And so, yes, Revelation does have a forward-looking eschatology. It does look forward to the end times and try to describe in a way what will happen when Christ returns. But Revelation does so, and the reason it does so is to encourage us and lift us up today. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching and correcting and training in righteousness. 
See, if that is true, then this passage must have been helpful and useful for training in righteousness 2,000 years ago. It must be useful for us today, as well as looking forward into the future. And so Revelation as a whole is not primarily about what will happen, but it's written, it talks about what will happen to encourage us who are here today. And encourage us to stay faithful, to stay strong, not in our own power, but in the victory that God has earned for us in Christ. That's what Revelation is all about. And we see that in the three kind of main sections or main parts of the book. And that's what I want to take a moment to to kind of describe to you today. The first main section of the book uh, encompasses chapters 1 through 5, and it teaches us that Jesus... In particular, God in all of his God enthroned in heaven is glorious and majestic and worthy of our praise and worthy of our worship. And that is true even when our experiences here on this earth are not. See, the, the book of Revelation opens up with this wonder this this great description of Jesus in chapter one and then uh, of heaven in the throne room in chapter 4, which you heard part of that read for us today as our call to worship. I want to take a moment, and, and if you have your Bibles, open them up to Revelation chapter 1, uh, and hear this description of Christ and all of his glory. It's chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. John says this, he says, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with gold sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as, snow, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face is like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet and thought as though dead. When he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. What a wonderful, what a just amazing, glorious majestic picture of Christ and all of his glory. You know, the Gospels give us a picture of Christ as he was here on this earth, as he, as he taught, as he healed people, as he traveled around with the disciples. Uh, and, and we saw a, very, uh, a picture of Jesus as both fully human and fully divine. And here we get a glimpse. Jesus doesn't lose his humanity, but we see his, his glory as, as God the Son coming through and shining. And again, I'm not going to reread it for you, but, but think of our call to worship, the scene in the heavenly throne room of, of these heavenly creatures and the elders just bowing down and worshiping God and praising him 24 hours a day. God is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of our honor. And then sandwiched right in the middle of those two descriptions, the description of Christ and all of his glory, the description of the heavenly throne room, are messages to real people in real churches struggling with real problems. And so in a sense, what, what the book of Revelation is saying is, is to overcome these problems, some of them which were internal, some which were external, they needed to fix their eyes on Christ and all of his glory. Colossians 3 tells us to not set our mind on earthly things, but to set it on heavenly things where Christ dwells, and we are, where we are hidden with him in glory. Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 3, reminds us to, to fix our eyes on Christ, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. See, whatever problems, whatever challenges we face, we know that we can fix our eyes on Christ and, 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 and seek him out. And in doing so, it's not going to make our problems disappear, but it's going to give us the strength that we need to endure whatever hardship we face in this life. Are you facing challenges today? Are you facing, facing health problems? Are you facing financial crises or relationship issues? Fix your eyes on Christ. He is with you. He will be with you through it. That's the message of the first part of the book of Revelation. The second part is, is a reminder that, that God our Father is a God of justice and of righteousness. He will not let evil go unpunished. The middle of this book, chapters 6 through 16, describe the judgments of God on an unrepentant world. The seals, the trumpets, the bowls, they're all displays of God's holy justice. Someone asked, are we in the end times, have the seals been opened? 
Right. That's someone asked that as part of our tough questions. And I'd say yes and no. I believe that we are in the end times. And what I mean by that is I believe that the end times began with the death and resurrection of Christ. See, Jesus promised to return again to to rescue his people, to establish his kingdom on this earth. And and even Jesus says that's only for the father to know. We don't know when that's going to be. And so in a sense, we are living in the end times because Christ could return at any moment. And so, and so we are living in an age in between the times, in between Christ's first coming and his second coming. And we don't know when that time will be. And so in a sense, we are living in the end times. But I also don't believe that the judgments, the descriptions that we see in this middle section of the book have necessarily taken place. Once again, this is all very symbolic language. It's very difficult for us to, to take what's described here and say this is exactly going to happen. For example, is a third of the stars truly going to fall and land on the earth? I don't necessarily think that's physically going to happen. It could. God is able to do whatever God wants to do. But I believe that is a symbolic metaphor. It describes in in language that we can understand what God is, is up to and what God is at work in. And so there's a lot of details. There's a lot of descriptions there. And and in a greater sense, I think they're meant to remind us of another instance in Scripture where plagues and judgments rain down from heaven. Think back to the book of Exodus and the ten plagues of Egypt. This section, I think, is meant to be a parallel to what happened there when God rained down his judgment on Pharaoh and and, uh, people uh, that were hard of heart. And in Exodus, it says that the reason God did that, the whole purpose of those plagues, those judgments, was so that people would know and believe that he truly is the Lord God. In Exodus 5, 2, Pharaoh says to the Lord, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? Right? Pharaoh had set himself up as the ultimate authority and, and disregarded the Lord's commands and the Lord's uh, demand that his people be set free. And so the Lord, in response to Pharaoh, says uh, through the plagues uh, that it was by this, by the plagues, you will know that I am the Lord. That's Exodus 7, 17. And in Exodus 9, 14, it says that, that the plagues are meant uh, to prove that God's, or the ultimate purpose of the plagues was that God's name would be praised in all of the earth. See, God's righteous and holy judgment is meant to, to do two things. To prove that he truly is God. And to then bring us to a point of, of repentant worship of him. But God is right and just in all of his judgments. There, God does desire that all people repent and turn to him. Uh, but there will come a day when, when we have to face up to the decisions that we ourselves have made. You see, we're all made for eternity. We're made to live with God forever. But because of our sin, we've been separated from him. And, and through Christ, we have forgiveness. And so the question is, what are we going to do with the, with the gift of grace that Christ has given us? Are we going to receive it and, and repent and turn to the Lord and, and seek out his mercy and grace? Or are we gonna, our hearts going to remain hard like Pharaoh's did and remain separated from him? We see in this section also a mention of the mark of the beast. This is another one of the small questions or one of the detailed questions that someone asked says that in, in Revelation that, that the mark of the beast is a number that is known and it is 666. This is one of those parts that gets a little uh, confusing or interesting because what does that mean? What does 666 represent? Is there some inherent evil associated with that number? And, and a lot of superstition has kind of built up around that, very similar to the number 13. You know, we, we, we surround 13 with such stigma that some hotels or office buildings don't even have a 13th floor, right? They do, just don't tell anybody, right? There is a 13th floor, they just don't label it as such. You look at an elevator, it'll say 12 and then 14 uh, because there's such a stigma around that unlucky number 13. And the same has kind of happened with this number 666. Numbers were often used in, in that day and that time to as symbols to represent other things. And so the, the number 666, if you look at, and I don't have the time to, to go through, if anyone is interested, I can give you more detail at another time, but it was meant to point to a person, the Emperor Nero uh, of Rome. It was a lesson to the historical audience. Don't put your trust in him. Don't align yourself with Nero. Don't align yourself with the empire. 
Don't trust in earthly powers because they can't save you. Instead, trust in Jesus as the only Lord and God. And the lesson for us today is the same. Emperor Nero is no longer with us, but we have our own earthly powers that we try to put our trust in, that we think will save us. You can label it, whether it's our bank accounts, whether it's our government, whether it's um, some other sort of wealth or power or resources that we think is going to bring us true happiness and true lasting significance. What the book of Revelation says is all of those things will fail. All of those things will betray us and will be, will be no more. The one thing in this world, the one thing in this universe that, can, that will sustain us, that will save us, that will bring us true joy and happiness is the Lord Jesus Christ and nothing else. And so don't align yourself with those other things. Trust in Jesus as Lord. And we can do that because we know, as, as Bob's saying for us this morning, we know the end. The last chapters of the book of Revelation, chapter 17 through 22, remind us and teach us and assure us that, that God wins in the end, that evil is defeated completely, full stop. Evil has no hope. Right there, there is this world that we live in is not caught in a battle between two equal powers, good and evil, and somehow they're struggling and and there's an uncertainty of who will win in the end. That is not a biblical worldview. The biblical worldview is that victory has already been achieved by God through Christ. His death on the cross, his resurrection was and is the victory. We know what will happen because it has already been accomplished for us. Now, that doesn't mean that evil isn't real. It doesn't mean we don't see the effects of it and the consequences of it in our world today. We do. As I said before, we're living in between the age. At the end of the War of 1812, there was a a battle known as the Battle of New Orleans. Now, the interesting thing about this battle was that it took place after the signing of a peace treaty. The war had officially ended. Victory had been won. But the people in New Orleans didn't know it at the time. The message had not reached their camps yet. And so a battle was fought. Lives were lost. Real damage was done, even though the war was over. In a sense, that's like our world today. The victory has been won. Christ has defeated the enemy on the cross. Yet we are still waiting for the full realization of that, the final establishment of his kingdom. And that will happen when Christ returns again. So what? I want to just briefly wrap up with a couple uh, uh, takeaways from this kind of overarching look at the book of Revelation. There's a few things here that I want to point out. First of all, the reason God has given us this message, the reason why he wrote it to these seven churches 2,000 years ago, the reason we're looking at it today, and the reason we'll continue as God's people to look at it and study it in years to come, is because it's meant to encourage us to live holy lives today and be ready for when Christ does return. I don't believe the primary purpose of the book of Revelation is to help us draw a roadmap to figure out the date and the time when Christ returns. There's Christians that have been doing that for 2,000 years. Just a couple years ago, there was a, a group of Christians who, who thought, I think it was 2015, I don't look it up off the top of my head, that, that thought Christ was returning. They sold all their stuff. They traveled around the country. They they quit their jobs because they were convinced that Christ was going to return in October of, like I said, 2015 or 2013, whatever the the time frame was. But guess what? It didn't happen, (laughs) right? In Matthew 24, Jesus says, it's not up for us to know. Only the Father knows the day and the time of, of the Son's return. And so our primary purpose isn't to figure out those details. It's to know that Christ wins in the end. And so therefore we should live as if that victory is true for us. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, it's another section of scripture that talks about Christ's return. And after, after some details, Paul says, therefore, I encourage you to live holy lives just as you're already doing. Right? That's, that's the reason. That's the purpose. It's to encourage us to live now. We don't know when Christ will return. And so therefore, we must be prepared and ready for when that time comes. It's also the book of Revelation is meant to encourage us to worship the lamb who was slain. Worship Jesus in all of his glory and majesty, right? Christ died and rose again. And so, uh, and for, for the people living in that day, they were experiencing real persecution, real hardship. And they're wondering, is it worth it? 
Can we, how, how do we stick it out till the end? And so the book of Revelation was meant to set our sights on Christ, to set our sights on things that are eternal, not on earthly things, to drive us to live holy lives and to drive us into gratitude and worship and praise of the one who has overcome. And that still is true for us today. We should still worship him and, and sing his praises. I don't know about you, but I, I, I read the book of Revelation and I hear about God's victory, the, the new heaven and the new earth and what that is going to be like. And it's just a reminder of, of God's greatness, his holiness, his glory, and it drives me to worship him. And, men, and, and, we're meant, and it's meant to remind us that we are holy people called to declare the praises of God, not just here in this room, but, but out there in the community and the world as well. First Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into this wonderful light. See, if God is glorious, if God has already won the victory through Christ, and if God will one day come to judge the living and the dead, if he will come to establish his kingdom here, we want to let as many people know about that as we can. And so the book of Revelation is meant to inspire us to go and to share the good news of the gospel with the lost world that desperately needs to hear it. In just a few moments, we're going to take communion together. Communion is a reminder of that future hope. It's a reminder of the victory that Christ has accomplished for us on the cross. His body broke and his blood shed. It's also a reminder that one day we will be with him in glory forever in his presence, celebrating the wedding supper of the Lamb, proclaiming his praises, lifting up his name. And so as we take communion, not, don't just reflect on what Christ has done for us in the past. That is good and true, and we need to do that. But also look forward to that assurance, that hope that we have as Christians, that one day we will be with him in his presence forever. All the sorrow, sickness, evil, hardship we experience in this world will be a thing of the past and we'll be able to experience his glory and his goodness forever. And as the book of Revelation says at the end, come Lord Jesus, come. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much that you have given us this book, this reminder of your goodness and your glory. Help us to, to hold it to heart. Help us to not... Lord, get lost in the details, but help us to see the big picture that you are victorious and you are good. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. As we prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper, let's stand and let's sing uh, the first verse of number 97. I'll hail the power of Jesus' name. Father, we thank you that you have given us this gift as a reminder of your great love for us. Lord, as we take this bread, remind us that your Lord Jesus, your body was broken on the cross. As we take this cup, remind us that your blood was shed to redeem a people for yourself, that you have brought us back into fellowship with you. And and you have uh, and it's all because of what you've done. As Revelation says, you are the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega. Salvation is a gift from you first and last. And so we receive that thankfully and with, with soft hearts and with praises on our lips. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Paul said, I've received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And he given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And the same way after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So all you who have received Jesus as your Lord and Messiah, I invite you to take this sacrament to your comfort.
This is the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is broken for you. Feed on him in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving. is the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ shed for you that our sins be forgiven. Take and drink knowing that he died for you. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much for the gift of forgiveness which we have in Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit who lives with us and dwells with us and guides us along this path of life. Lord, I pray that as we go from this place, you would help us to be that people you've called us to be. Help us to live in light of eternity, knowing, Lord, Lord, that you have already won the victory for us through Christ. And Lord, help us by your spirit to live in light of that. Help us to live holy lives, loving you and loving others as ourselves, Lord, so that we may be ready and be found uh, faithful, Lord, when the time comes. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness towards us, that even as we stumble, even as we fall, you've made forgiveness possible through your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray these things. Amen. Now may the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy, or the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. 
Amen. You may go in peace.